0: Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, this is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. As a church, we've started to notice that the COVID pandemic has snuck up on us in ways we didn't expect, and has been affecting many people spiritually. In this episode, Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, is going to talk with Jill Reese, Nick's Content and Ministry Coordinator, about some of the symptoms we're seeing and the potential causes. This episode will hopefully give you some insight into how we're preparing for the fall series, and we would love to know if any of this resonates with you or if you think we missed something. Email us your feedback at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Also, even though this is a more time-sensitive episode, we are still on official break until September 15th as we work to improve the podcast. In the show notes, you'll find a survey that we appreciate you filling out to help us in this process. Again, send us your thoughts on these spiritual diagnostics at podcast at highpointchurch.org and fill out the survey in the show notes. Thanks for listening.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Jill, I'm here with Nick, and today we're going to be talking about the spiritual diagnostics of COVID, and here's what we mean by that. We're six months into the pandemic and other serious events that have been happening in the world, and there's many spiritual and emotional symptoms that we're noticing and experiencing that are symptomatic of a spiritual malady. And we're so we're sick in a different way, and that really snuck up on us. And as we prepare for the fall series, the staff team has been talking about the diagnostics of this spiritual malady. So we're going to talk through what we've been noticing. And as you listen, uh, take mental notes of what sticks out to you. And please talk back to us, as Pastor Lloyd used to say, and send us an email to let us know your thoughts about what was helpful to you. And if there's or if there's something you think is missing, it would be really helpful for us as we prepare. And we want to see what you're feeling and experiencing as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to start talking about some of the causes first, how we got into the situation, um, spiritually and emotionally. So Nick, what are some things that you've noticed that have caused the situation for us?
2: Um, so maybe we, maybe we could go over a list of symptoms first. I know that that's second thing, but, um, I think sometimes when you talk about symptoms that perks people up a little bit more. So, (laughs) so as as we've been, as we've been talking about people, um, so we've been having personal spiritual check ins on our staff mm-hmm. team on Wednesday mornings at nine, I think. Just in the point of that, it's not a staff meeting, it's just how are you doing? And yesterday I was on a call with, um, five or six other pastors at lar- lar- very large churches. I, we, we were by far the farthest, smallest church represented there, and they were all sharing similar things. And we were talking about what we were doing to keep our staff teams from burning out. And, um, so what what we've so here's a list of, of things that we keep hearing, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people talk about being feeling spiritually dry. A lot of people will use language of being tired or fatigued. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, that's not just like, "Oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night," but it's like, "I'm just I just don't have a lot of motivation," right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can especially see this in things that are non sensual. So anything that's sensual that just like just pleases your nervous system. It's it pleases your like your stomach and your you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. having sex, watching TV, eating food, eating sugar, mm-hmm. um, yelling at people. There's motivation for a lot <laughs> of that stuff, right? But the yeah. stuff that's like- Or just
1: being really irritable. Just, being really yeah.
2: irritable is also another and, one. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. my I feel like mine started before the pandemic, but yeah, that mm. has that definitely been heightened for people. Um, so- so there's just the seeming laziness or lack of motivation in re, in relationship to higher goods, like doing what's mm-hmm. best for you and everybody else. Um, some people, will, yeah. so Adam Babry said to me in my call with him, it's not depression, but depression is the right zip code. The mm-hmm. word depression is the right zip code. Um, people saying that they can't feel. S- go ahead, yeah.
1: I was gonna. You were talking about depression being the right zip code. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people use the word anxiety. Very generally, and so I've heard that word a lot. yeah, instead of depression, I've heard people saying that they have anxiety, and I think that's a really general term that we use in our culture to point to more specific things such as depression or feeling irritable yeah. or other things as well.
2: Yeah, and I think I actually think people feeling kind of despondent and numb and also mm-hmm. at times very anxious is compatible. I've right. I th- I talked to people yeah. who that's true of is that they, they feel like they're mm-hmm. really sluggish and then something happens and then they feel really anxious. Right. Right. So that it, you can have kind of like a roller coaster kind of mm-hmm. drama queen feeling inside of you. Right. So mm-hmm. people have said they feel despondent, numb. They fee- just feel diminished as people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's a heightened sense of negativity of feelings like anxiety. Right. Um, stronger temptations to sins of infirmity, like sensual sins. And sins that um, come from either like blowing up in anger or falling into something that just pleases you, um, that mm-hmm. those temptations are heightened. Um, a lot of people are talking about just giving in to sensual impulses to feel good or to feel numb or to feel like that you can mm-hmm. escape more mm-hmm. easily, which includes lots of things. And, and we t- I said something already about like eating and sex and, and anger, but like a shopping is a big one, mm-hmm. especially because you feel like you're supposed to stimulate the economy right now or whatever. It's really easy to just be like, I guess I'll just look at some things I want to buy, kind of, and just shop. And but like online shopping is a is a thing. Like you feel good for a second when you buy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So neglect of the good, and then um, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. symptoms of like isolation or just lack of structure in our lives, right? So um, so some people have said this they they have a loss loss of interest in others, and yet they feel really isolated. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like wait. You don't want to be around people, but you feel isolated. And they're like, yep, both of those things at the same time. Um, Feeling ignored or rejected by family members, friends, institutions, or government. Um, A lot of structures are broken down for us that we've relied on, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can't go to a lot of things. So families are oftentimes split up because of this, because like grandparents have have physical ailments or so on. Churches aren't meeting together like they used to. The government kind of feels like it failed us, right? And in some ways, um, I've heard uh, some people say it feels like science failed us. In some ways, this is a science and technology failure that we couldn't we weren't able to meet this problem without it really having a big effect on us. So it so, you know, nature landed a punch here, a big one, and it feels like even science failed. us. So um, there's a lot of that. Uh, we talked about being irritable or on edge. Some people talk about being really foggy. Like they're going to work, they're working more hours than they've worked in a long time. If they can work at home or if they work in an office, but their mind just, it's hard to clear out their head and think creative and useful thoughts.
1: Part of this is working from home too. I know we talked more about that Mm -hmm. at the beginning of COVID, but many people are still, most people are still working from home and having to have that divided mind throughout the day. Still is I think just yeah. leading to this weariness and, and at least lack distraction of focus and lack yeah, of structure. Of, yes.
2: Yeah. A lot of distraction. Um, sometimes some people are really struggling with um, decision paralysis because the future is so uncertain. There's so many things that are so uncertain. It's hard to make good decisions because you don't have the information, right? There are more and more people that are, that really are, seem to be withdrawn. They're just pulling back from things. Uh, there's a lot of loneliness and fear of missing out at the same time. Because some people are afraid of the disease So they don't want to go to stuff But they also feel like they're missing out And then they feel lonely right? Plus there's a lot of um, judgment towards others When it comes to beliefs about COVID-19 So COVID-19 is uh, is a great um, emotional divider Because it can kill people At a very low percentage Relative to other plagues in the history of the world Extremely low percentage But it can kill people And has killed people right? So depending on how you look at such a thing, you could be totally divided on how you look at it. In one sense, you can look at this and be like, we should just all be going about our day. This should have no effect on us. And then other people are like, we should stop everything because people can die and are dying. And when you have that big a division, it's very easy for that to create a lot of judgment and negative feelings towards other people and rejection and hatred and so on, right? Um, Which can also lead to a lot of self-absorption, when you have all this worry and anxiety and you feel depressed and now you feel angry at people and now you're judging, others you're alone. they're judging you and you're alone. You, it's easy to get just consumed in your own thoughts and to mm-hmm. blow them out of proportion and to just fall into selfish self-absorption. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're like, well, I should turn to God, but church just feels really hard too. I mean, we, we've talked about people coming to church and crying because they're like, I need this so much, but it's, but then they say, but it's so hard still to come and engage. Right. And then the last category is just existential dread and loss of like a stable worldview because things like this create doubt. So many of us don't realize that like um, we have been thinking for a while that we're not going to die. And COVID, even though your chance of dying is very low, if you're in most categories, it still is reminding you that like death is a thing that can sweep across the world and you're going to die and people are dying and you're going to die and things are going badly and you're going to die. Right? So just, we are the sort of people that do not like to grapple meditatively with our mortality. And when we are forced to face our mortality, um, we freak out. And then we also, part of our, our lack of a sense of mortality is we think our lives are going to go well. And when something like this happens and shows how fragile our life is, our system, our civilization That can be really difficult. And if you add to that questioning God, like why does God allow this? Why is this okay? Like how is this part of God's good rule of the earth? And so on. Then it's easy for this to like cause you to question your faith. Right? Now, some years ago, Arthur Brooks talked about um, the part of you that you have any control over relative to happiness assumes there's four main areas um, of happiness. The first is that you have a worldview that explains reality. That shows that there's some meaning in the universe, right? The second is, is that you have meaningful family relationships. The third is, is that you have meaningful friendship relationships where people act towards your real good and understand you and love you. And the fourth is that you do some kind of meaningful work that really matters to the lives of others. You do something that matters,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? For For some people, COVID-19 has literally disrupted all four of those. Mm-hmm. And if they already have a melancholy or nervous temperament, which is the other 60% of human happiness, um, they're in a, you're in a really bad way. Like if you're already a relatively neurotic person who's not naturally given towards a natural disposition of happiness, and then all four of those things have been disrupted for you, right? That's a huge issue. And then you add in everything else and it's a big problem. And so what, what we're looking at here is one of the strongest spiritual and emotional and moral sort of, diseases that we've faced at least in a generation mm-hmm. and we know we're facing the covid disease like we like we have that well defined we're like this is what it is this is how we're fighting it we we understand it we know what we should be doing and we're, we're looking for a better cure but we've got ways we're dealing with it right now but this disease this spiritual and moral and personal human psychological and spiritual sickness is a lot of people don't even know they have it they feel it's mm-hmm. symptoms, but they don't know what it is. They don't because they don't have a diagnosis. They don't know what the cure is, and they just know that they're suffering. That life is hard. That they feel despondent, and they feel like they're slipping. Mm-hmm. And it's and they find that it's really hard to do the next good thing. It's mostly just easy to do the next sensual thing,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: um, that's kind of what we're trying to deal with in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we spent a good <laughs> bit of time here defining it. But I, I want people to really feel how big a deal it is.
1: Something that we talked about on the staff team as well was how, um, this spiritual disease also has a weakening effect on itself. And so it's making us weaker, but then it causes us to withdraw further and, um, be less disciplined and et cetera, et cetera, which then makes it worse. Uh, and right. so. It's, yeah, that's,
2: that's technically called a positive feedback loop, but right. it, it's funny because positive feedback loops when they're about something bad is a completely negative thing. So right. it's a, it's a, it's a loop that feeds off itself in a negative direction. It, you're mm-hmm. weakened by it, but then it makes you weaker. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, Nick, do you want to talk more about, um, like what might be going on underneath? Because another thing we've talked about is how these are symptoms, but some of these things like fear of death, etc., cetera, are always under the surface for us. And this has added fuel to the fire, or has stripped away some crutches that we've depended on that we thought we right. were maybe godly, but we actually just were really structured and went to, did the, had the same schedule every day, etc. So, yep. do you want to talk more about those underlying diseases and sicknesses that we have as humans that this is sparking?
2: Yeah. So I, I interviewed. Um, three other like theological pastors that I know from different traditions because I wanted to get their perspectives. Um, I I interviewed Mike Witter from Christ Church Lake Forest, who's who's like me in a lot of ways, but just older and more experienced. And then Adam Avery, who's a more charismatic pastor on the East Coast, and then um, Father Gregory Jensen, who's Russian Orthodox, and is here in Madison. And one of the things that that Greg Jensen said that I thought was real helpful was he said, "You know, you Protestants, because he's you know he's a Greek Orthodox, so he likes to pick on Protestants like us. And he's like you." Protestants Protestants, part of the problem with you is that um, Protestantism is by its nature pragmatic. And so um, you're good at a lot of like secular and pragmatic things like building businesses and doing direct and concrete acts of charity for the poor. And, having church campaigns and building new buildings and making schools and whatever. He's like, you guys are really good at that kind of stuff. That's like, here's a problem. Let's solve it. Right. You're very Dutch in that sense. Right. And he's like, the problem is, is that, um, that kind, and and you also believe in all these institutions. you really, you guys really believe that the government, you know, he's like, you know, we're, most of us are, we're like Russian and Eastern European before we, you know, came to the Greek Orthodox Church here in America. So we got screwed by the government and science our whole lives. Like we, we never saw the scientists on, on, it's on our side or the government is on our side. They weren't right. He's like you Americans, you all thought that the government was like on your team and like, you really believe in it. You believe in the American experiment. So you have this kind of secular pietism where you like have a warm hearted feeling about the good nature of American life. And you also have this kind of pragmatic Protestantism where you're like, we're going to fix all these problems. And he's like, basically, that all got stripped away from you. There's nothing you can do. You got screwed. You got screwed by the government. Science didn't succeed. The institutions have failed. Your leaders have acted very um, self-interestedly. Partly because it's a, even worse than normal because it's an election year, right? And <clears throat> they're telling you to do stuff that doesn't make sense. And like, it's blowing up your your paradigm, like how you look at the world. It's stripping away your idols, and that's good. Right. And I I actually agree with that. I think that for all our piety in Christ, most of us still are like pragmatic, secular, pietistic Protestants. And we think that we're going to have a good life if we're polite and we do a good job, things are going to go well and our society is going to work and all that kind of stuff. And right now it's not. And we're experiencing human life. Like most human beings have for the whole of history that life isn't really working, you know, now a lot of people. That's not really true. They're still in their jobs. Everything's working kind of fine. They're doing okay. But even for them, things are things have changed. And if you just are groping with change for six months, most people are going to have a burnout effect, just from the um, the uh, the change, the instability, the insecurity of the situation. You know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, when we talked about this, we we isolated um, three major structural contributors one is just exhaustion which leads to burnout um, whenever we do something we're not used to doing we're not kind of mentally and physically in shape for it and we like are exerting ourselves and there's a certain amount of time we can do it for before we burn out mm-hmm. and we ever you know there's a lot of people who thought this was going to be a couple week thing a couple month thing i remember being in a staff meeting really early on and i was like you guys you need to plan on at least a year and people looked at me like you're so do you remember that And I was like, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be months, six months, maybe, probably more like a year. And people were like, what? This will be like two months, right? I mean, like flu season is like two months. Well, even
1: within that staff meeting, we went from like, do we need to change stuff right away to changing stuff right away? It was like a two day staff meeting (laughs) to changing stuff right away to saying, okay, this will be probably a year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We were like, let's wait and see what happens. And we're like, no, we need to close church right now and this is going to be a year. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like
1: everyone else experienced as well, probably.
2: Yeah, yeah, in a way. In a way so, yeah. um, so yeah, so there's there's exhaustion and burnout, and mm-hmm. um, don't overthink this, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of you out there who are, you don't think of it, but here's the thing: burnout is a sneaking condition. Most people don't realize they're burned out until they do something stupid, um, because they're burned out. But okay. like, you feel kind of fatigued. You kind of feel kind of like mm-hmm. flatlining, but you don't feel. Um, strong and proportionate emotions. Um, And so for people who are not used to being feelers, sometimes you don't really understand you're burning out, but you are. Mm -hmm. So um, you need to focus on the things that are going to be life affirming and that are going to build up life, peace, and energy for you. So generally Mm -hmm. speaking, the three big components of that is um, prayer and reflection, like turning to God and turning your heart to God And in so doing, focusing on things that are meaningful, true, significant, deep, and that are independent of your circumstances. So whatever circumstance you're in, you can turn to God and you can turn to prayer and you can connect with what's meaningful and significant and eternal. Right. Mm.
1: The second thing is
2: exercise and physicality, like trying to eat well and trying to get some exercise, even if it's just going for walks. Um, but but don't fall into the sensuality of laziness and overeating because it just has really bad effects on on your body in all kinds of ways and you're an embodied being so it's just not a good idea to miss that and the third is the pursuit of some kind of interest um, mm-hmm. to do some stuff that's recharging for you that you find meaningful and interesting whether that's to have painting, fun yeah 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 and for some people that's just getting together with your friends mm-hmm. but for other people it's like fixing small gas engines for some it's fishing for some it's golf for some it's painting i mean there's all kinds of Biking, there's all kinds of things that can be something you're genuinely interested in, but doing something you're genuinely interested in helps to combat burnout. Um, and then, along with exercise and eating well, also sleeping well is important. Trying to, so just don't, don't binge watch stuff until 1 a.m. Like you got to cut it off at 10 o'clock, like 10, 30, and have an hour or a half hour where you're not watching anything. Um, try to not reflexively look at screens and technology and so on. And if there's anything in your life that's causing you stress that you really don't have any influence over, like the news, sometimes you just got to cut it out, you know, mm-hmm. just stop paying attention to it.
1: Mm-hmm. I've um, deleted social yeah. media off my phone about three times throughout this pandemic, just for like a, indefinitely, <laughs> just taking mm-hmm. it off for weeks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mostly just don't ever look at it. I only go to Facebook for yeah. marketplace to see if there's something I need to buy. Right. Um, it looks like I'm looking, I'm always looking for a boat, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. I don't, I, I scroll through a little bit here and there. Um, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I, I try to stay out entirely out of all that stuff. I haven't, don't think I've posted something on Twitter for quite a while mm-hmm. and I have no make yeah. no apologies because I think it's, it's important for, to, uh, to try to stay away from burnout and, and, um, mm-hmm. some of the anxieties that push you towards it. Then the second thing is uncertainty and security, just realizing that security, feeling like you're going to be okay is Mm -hmm. a primal human need. You have to meet that need. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you might be like, well, what about, can't we just believe in Jesus? Well, well, yeah, I mean, you can, you can put your faith in Christ as the, the one who ultimately secures you in the world so that Jesus is the root of your security that you can, but, but that's a way of handling it. Right. So like, no matter how you slice this security is something that you have to, you have to have, Mm -hmm. you have to feel secure. And so, one of the first things to do is to just admit that a lot of the things that we were secure in, we're not that secure in anymore. And this disease shows us that we aren't, we never will be. because even though um, COVID-19 is not that that deadly relative to other plagues, there could be a plague 20 times more deadly than this next year. And strip everything away much worse. We Mm -hmm. we just, it's woken us up to some of those things and it's disruptive and it's shown that the systems that support our lives and make us secure are way more fragile than we thought. Like a a glorified Mm -hmm. flu is doing this. Right? So we're not as strong. We're not as safe as we think we are in all of our government institutions and our science and our pharmacies and our airbags and all of that. Um, We're actually fragile creatures Mm -hmm. in a fragile world living in a fragile civilization right mm-hmm. so and then the, the the third thing and that inclu- also includes the uncertainty of spiritual doubt right if you if you doubt god and all of this that creates a spiritual uncertainty that goes along with all the other uncertainties like your job and your family mm-hmm. and your life. and then last is isolation and deprivation understanding that um as as people we rely on contact with others we sometimes we underestimate even when you're an introvert how critical Meaningful, loving, accepting, present human contact is for all people, and how you need it, and that we are we um, in order to try to protect our protect ourselves epidemiologically, you know, in terms of disease, we isolated ourselves from each other and created a social disease. And some people have said, you know, why do you think it's so? It, it seems like it's pretty pronounced, and like we, I mean, we're still interacting with each other. Right. And we weren't super social before in the city. Right. And I, I think one of the reasons why people are feeling it really strongly is because, um, I think that cities tend to function at the minimum workable social mm-hmm. quantity and quality for human beings that were mostly detached people in cities. Mm-hmm. And so we like fill that in as much as we really just need to. And then we, we kind of stop because we're spending our time and energy pursuing other things. And so when this cuts out 30%, maybe it only cut out maybe 30% of your interactions, but if you were already at the minimum, right? Uh, Let's say the minimum is like seven good interactions in a week. Right. And you have to have that, or you just start to fall apart And this only dropped you to five. Well, that's still enough to make it not work. Right. So like, yeah, So, like for example, if you if you fill up a pool eighty percent, you can still swim in it. But if a motor, an engine, is functioning at eighty percent and its carburetors just aren't working, that motor functions at zero percent. Right. So there's some things that if you you lose just a few percentage points, they are no longer operational. And I think for most people, we've lost enough to make our social structures no longer sufficient, and to be Mm -hmm. too there for there to be too much isolation for us to be emotionally healthy.
1: I also think that our social structures have fooled us in th- into thinking that what we experienced relationally was, um, what we needed for security, relational security, but, um, we actually just had a more surfacey connection and we had a lot of it. And so we felt like we were okay, but I think we're also realizing how there's not deep, we don't have deep loving relationships. We might have a lot of connections and a lot of um, mm-hmm. social interactions, but that's different than real self-sacrificial love. And so yeah. if you haven't had that in your life and you thought you did because it felt similar um, and you had enough of it that it was okay, um, I think, yeah. So I think we've also been fooled into thinking we mm-hmm. had the real thing and we didn't. And now the fake thing is gone.
2: Well, I think also it's because, it's, it depends on how how bad you needed help. Right. You know, if you needed, if you needed a... A level three friendship, right? And you only had a bunch of level one and two friendships. Um, Those people did not show up for your level three need, right? I think it was Nellie who said in one of the things she wrote for the staff, she said, a bunch of things have been stripped away. There's a lot of people I'm not seeing. And then she said, but some of my relationships have really amped up and been very fulfilling. And I think COVID is, this is one of those times where like, so like, because you're not supposed to be around a lot of people. You want to create kind of a small circle. Mm-hmm. Right. So my wife quickly like was like, okay, these are the two women I'm going to focus on. And so mm-hmm. for th- all through COVID this last six months, there's two women that she's hung out with, spent time with supported, took their kids when necessary. Right. All that. And that's it. Hardly mm-hmm. anybody else. And so I have a feeling a lot of people are doing that. They're like, they're narrowing their circle to their right. the people they want to be close to. And so I think a lot of good friendships are getting better. And a lot of just moderate and weaker friendships are, are just not operational right now.
1: Right. But that's also more human. It's more human to have close, a few close relationships. And I yeah. think we've fooled ourselves into thinking we, but
2: the average urban urban American doesn't.
1: Right. So the average right. urban
2: American has 1.8 friends and, Oftentimes, none of those are le- like what you might call. If there's levels one through five of how close and sacrificial the friendship is. None of them are three or higher. They're all ones mm-hmm. and twos. Now, in an urban setting, that's in some ways normal because you have to have a lot of ones and twos because usually new opportunities are opened up by people who, who Meg Jay calls weaker weaker connections or peripheral connections. So your you know your friend's sister, your your boss you know you're like your mom has a friend whose sister works for this boss. And there's a job opening and they say put in a word for you. Like that's how opportunities happen. Those like weak connections. So yeah, you do want to make a lot of weak connections, especially when you're younger, or if you are the main breadwinner for your family. Right. But um, but humanly speaking, you need um, you need some close friends. And so I think that's one of the reasons historically women have had fewer, closer friendships, and men have more acquaintances and like wider, looser connection friendships. Because men historically have been the breadwinners. And so they need all these like mechanisms of opportunity and support economically. And women needed more social, interpersonal support and in friendships. And so it made sense for them to have fewer, deeper friendships. And it made sense for men to have more and more diffuse relationships. Right. So th- there are reasons for it. But I think that COVID has. Um, if you don't have those close friendships, it's weakened your other friendships where you got enough to get by and now you're right. not getting enough to get by. And so it may just realize that like um, you just, you, you, ha- you don't have real deep friendships and that can be really existentially horrifying because you're like, wait, I don't have, I'm not the anybody's one or two second next person. I, I just don't have those relationships, you know? Yeah. And I think it's partly because we are pragmatic secular pietists like we're right. like we are like i'm i'm gonna win at work and i'm gonna do the things and i'm gonna get the technologies and i'm gonna have the flat stomach and we don't realize how valuable it is to just be there and to sell ourselves short so that we could be really truly present in the life of another person and have a and I just
1: think, yes and i think that's true in the other ways that you spoke about too in burnout i think we're surprised that we need rest our secular society is very much like I felt before, like you should be able to do this, Jill. You should be able to keep going. <laughs> Why can't you keep going? But the truth is we're human and we need rest and this is there's exhausting things happening. And so I need to remember, oh yes, I just I just need to stop and that's how God made me. And yeah. in terms of friendships, I need a few people who love me. Deeply, and in terms of security, I need to trust that, like, yes, I'm gonna, I'm going to die, but I have security in Christ, and I'm going to live, even though I die. Um, and so, there's these things that we're reminded of that are just very human and how God has created us, but our structures in our society have fooled us into thinking we're strong, even though we've been being weakened the entire time <laughs> by worldliness. Um, and so there's great, there's good that can come out of this because praise God that he has stripped away our false structures and security. Um, But it's, it feels terrible right now <laughs> yeah. because that's happened.
2: So let's get into some of these solutions, like w- what yes. we can do. I mean, we talked a little bit about, I talked a little bit about related to burnout, that we can mm-hmm. engage in more prayer and reflection, the spiritual disciplines that focus us on God and what he says and who he is right. and that he's our security and everything that flows out of that, a sense of meaning and significance. And right. that in all of the dysfunctional things happening in our lives and all the ways our lives are breaking down around us. God is sending us out as his, as his people to do good, right? And no matter what's happening in your life, you can be in a gulag, you can be a slave, you can have everything taken from you and you can still say, God is in control. God cares about me and he's sending me to the world to bring redemption and good. And I'm going to do some good now, today. And I'm going to find some way to do that good. And that's my purpose and significance. And God is in heaven and he is sovereign over all things and he's with me. And if you believe that, then, man, you can face a lot of stuff, right? And then exercise, sleep, and diet, right? Like your physical needs, tuning them up more. And then the third thing is pursuing an interest, right? So that to face burnout. One of the things Mike Woodruff said to me, he's one of the pastors I interviewed. He said, Nick, this is true for pastors, but I think it's also true for everybody. He said, what people are going to need from you is they're going to need an energetic, non-anxious presence in the power of God. And so in order for you to give that to people, you can't be burned out. They're all burning out. They're all burning out. And so you can't be, you got to be not burned out. And so it may feel selfish for you to do what you need to do to not be burned out, but you got to do it Mm -hmm. because what people are going to need from you is a energetic, non-anxious presence in the power of God. I think that's true for everybody. The people in your life are going to be burning out. A lot of them are burned out already. You may be kind of burned out already. And one of the reasons why you need to turn to God and prayer and spiritual discipline and spiritual growth and trying to do that work and not be burned out emotionally and spiritually and to be ready to is because everybody in your life who isn't doing those things is going to feed off of you and what they need from you in their in their weakness is an energetic non-anxious presence in the power of god right so i think that's a i think that's a big deal um when i talked to adam Mabry, the biggest thing that came up Wait, let me say one more thing about Mike Woodruff. He was talking about church ministries and he said, and this is an old management quote, I think. He said, when things change 10%, change the programming. When things change 30%, change the system. When things change 10%, change the programming. When things change 30%, change the system. So like, if you thought about that in like children's ministry, things kind of change 10%, you like you, you change like the program you're doing. Like what songs you're singing, how, what, how you're doing the teaching, some of the programming. But if, if the way we relate to children changes more than 30%, you, you change the whole children's ministry. Does that make sense? Similarly, if in your life, like 10% of things, it, your life changes about 10%, you can stay with your system. You just have to change your programming to fit the new reality. But when things change 30% or more, you've got to change the whole program, right? Now, what is COVID? Is COVID less than 30%? It's probably more than 10%. Is it more than 30%? That's the question you got to ask yourself. If it's more than 10%, but not more than 30% for you, you need to change your program, but not your system. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So you might need to tweak some things. You know what? I need to go to bed more faithfully on time and not let myself veg out, not grab my phone reflexively, right? I need to not. I need to limit myself on social media. If I do that, that's going to be enough for me to stay in spiritual health and then make sure that I'm doing devotions or whatever. However, if, if it's changed 30% or more, you may need to just think about the whole structure of your life and how that needs to be different. Does that make sense? So I think yeah. that, that's helpful from, from Mike. And then what Adam Avery said is, now at, remember, Adam Avery's church is in Boston. It's right near Cambridge and MIT. So he has a vast disproportionate number of younger people in his church. Millennials and a ton of Gen Zs, actually, which there's, there, there is a difference between those groups. Interestingly enough, but he says he said one of the people we, one of the things we found in our church is that our people seem unable to sustain their own spiritual lives. Yeah. So one of the things I found is is that when I so I'm forty three, I came to faith in my late teens and kind of came of age in the faith in college, and I think that this is also true of you, Jill, because this this, this span probably twenty five years. It probably was ending about the time you were in Navigators, which is the str- very strong evangelical emphasis on personal devotions yeah. and quiet times, meaning you get your own Bible and every day you read the Bible and you pray every day, yeah. every day. So every day there's a time, usually in the morning, and you, you have, there's some ritual that includes Bible reading and prayer, at least, and you do it religiously. That is is a ritual that you do every day, right? right. Um, I remember there was a time where my brother said, my, my sister-in-law, Amanda Gibson, that he, she, had, she had went through college and had never missed a quiet time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? That is in a, in a large measure gone away in our ministries to young people. Right. That, that would be something you would do in a disciplined way every single day.
1: And that you can do it. It's not... Right. You're not crazy to be able right. to do that.
2: <laughs> now, I don't, I'm not saying that the, the older evangelical notion of a personal devotional time is the only way to spiritually sustain yourself. So let's, let's start with the idea that it is your job to be able to spiritually sustain yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. God gives you the church and we are big at high point on um, us doing this together and you being part of the church, but, You doing the work to be part of the church is on you. It's your responsibility. And it's part of you spiritually sustaining yourself. Like you've got to go, you've got to be part of it. You've got to foster those relationships. You've got to do all that. So even the corporate spiritual disciplines are part of you sustaining your spiritual life. One of the reasons why one of the biggest drop-offs in faith isn't people going, just going from high school to college, but from going to college to the workforce, those two big jumps are the highest percentage of people lose their faith. It's so wait. So, People assume for a long time that it, when people went to college, they learned stuff, and they learned that their faith was stupid, so they gave it up. All right, fine. Then why does a similar percentage of people who are Christians in college go into the workforce, learn less, and lose their faith?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not philosophy. It's structure. It's structure. Mm-hmm. They leave their structures of, of how other people were sustaining their faith for them. They get in a new environment, and they don't do what's necessary to sustain their faith, either in college or after college, and then they lose their faith because they don't they don't participate in sustaining their own faith. They don't treat themselves like a human being. They treat themselves like a floating ball of logic that just is gonna naturally just do the right thing. And they just don't realize what they are and what it takes for a human being to sustain their spiritual life. Does that make sense?
1: Another thing that I noticed while I was in college and I and leaving college what I, I was a navigator, so we, we they were big on personal devotions and reading the Bible. But I've noticed a shift in people saying that for devotions, they sometimes people listen to podcasts or they, they feel like they're being fear, spiritually fed by other means, but it's very okay. important to read the Bible for yourself and yeah. not to hear it from someone else, even another book, um, but to be in the Word by yourself. You can use other resources to equip you with that, but... It's, there's nothing like reading the Bible for yourself and it's not yeah. going to spiritually feed you in the same way.
2: In some ways, that is the heart of what Protestantism is all about. It's the idea that like there, it's worthwhile making people literate so that they can read for themselves. Right. And the main reason for that in the history of America was that they could read the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I and mean, people don't, to the Bible. That's people do, yeah, people okay. don't know this, but That's like the the litera- awesome. the literary rate, the the rate of um literacy in um Boston when it was a Puritan colony was over ninety mm-hmm. percent. Right? There's there's stories of people walking into shoe shops and seeing their cobbler cobbling while reading the New Testament in Greek. Right. There was a strong sense of, like among these like Christians that like we everybody needs to learn how to read and read well so they could read the Bible right? Because if you do, it'll change you because it's the word of God written, right? And I I think that like, for me, I didn't, no one ever had to push me that hard on this because like, I believe that the Bible was the word of God written. Like, Like, how could you possibly believe that the Bible is the word of God written and not read it? That just seems really weird. It's in your language. It's translated into your language. You're literate. What's going on here, right? And
1: also, we're, we're all getting smarter, but I think we there's this feeling that the Bible is too hard for us to
2: understand. I know, I, all, yeah. It's so funny when I listen to people. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I talk to people with IQs clearly over 100 who've been to college and they're like, oh, I couldn't possibly, you know? Like, I, honest to God, I was like eight or nine years old when I started reading the Bible. Like, I'd gone to some Christian camp and they talked about the Bible and my mom bought me a King James Bible from the Price Chopper. And I just started in Genesis and started reading and like, yeah, it was hard, but like I got through it and I learned how to read it. And then before I knew it, I could read King James English and it was fine. You know, it was, it was like learning a dialect, you know? So yeah, I I think, so anyway, the point here is, um, one of the things that COVID has revealed is how good some of us are at sustaining our own spiritual lives. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it turns out some of us are not very good at it. And so first, it is your responsibility to steward your own spiritual life. You have to take responsibility for it it yourself. That's part of becoming mature and an adult. You you can use corporate things and you can use technological things, Mm
1: -hmm. but
2: it's your job. And it isn't really that healthy to get everything mediated to you through a secondary source. Mm
1: -hmm. Or
2: in my view, to just watch or listen. I think reading, writing, and speaking yourself are fundamental to human development. So you have to read the words of the scripture yourself. You need to write about them and journal about them with your own hand. And then you need to speak about them out of your own understanding. And when you do that, it really becomes part of you. So if all you're doing is like listening to sermons or talks or whatever like in your phones, like while you clean the kitchen or something, I don't think it's going to do it. It won't really change you. Does that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So all of this was about burnout, still, right? What to do for burnout? So what would you say about? Well, it's
2: in some ways, but it's it's also like, I mean, doing that will if you if you sustain your spiritual life, it'll help you with all three of these things because it'll help you with dealing with isolation. Right. It'll help you dealing with the uncertainty and insecurity of what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, part of yeah. insecurity is being spiritually secure. If you don't know who right. who holds tomorrow, like if you don't know who is God in heaven and like who is the sovereign and provident one, then every insecurity is multiplied. like if you lose your job and you know and you don't know who the king of the universe is, that's much more devastating than if you lose your job and you do know who the king of the universe is right. So we in some will,
1: ways you will always yeah. be secure in some way, if you're not spiritually secure
2: in that way, Right. so spiritual security is incredibly important, but then these other securities are important too. And, and wow. we just have to, and, but in some ways for those, you just do the best you can, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. Did you want to talk more through other category, like isolation? Do you want to talk more about what to do for that or
2: not? Um, yeah. I mean, Mike, Mike Beresford said this is one of the things he said about how he's dealt with COVID is that they just never stopped meeting with people. Mm-hmm. They didn't have big parties or anything, but they never really did. So they just, they kept inviting couples over to their house for dinner and they would ask them if they'd been careful and they'd social distance reasonably. Um, but they just, they chose not to live in fear about the disease, even though Mike had open heart surgery and clearly would have, could have like gotten it and died. Like that, like that's a real thing, but they were like, look, we, we had, there's a lot of things we value, including our lives, but also people, life, other people's problems and so on. So they, they tried to balance the things as best they could and they didn't isolate themselves. And I, I think, you know, there's some people that'll, that feel like they need to like, for example, um, Brooks and Katrina Boyd, their daughter, Trinity has, um, cystic fibrosis. And so it's just a, that's a bad pre-existing condition for somebody who could get COVID. Right. So they've had to be more isolated, but they've tried to use technology and get involved with people where they could, or have just like one family that's isolated onto them so that they can have some interaction. And so relative to where you are health wise, right. You just have to work against isolation and however you can. My mom's 82 She's healthy, but she's 82, right? And so she stayed in California. She didn't come back to Madison because my girls work. And so she she, she had a much, much better chance of not getting the virus in Davis, California. But she still goes to a Bible study every week with women in the courtyard of her church, outdoors, right? Social distance, but they study the Bible together. They pray together. They work things out together, you know? And then she goes to church, right? I think I think their church might just be meeting virtually, but she does what she can i've actually called my mom a lot more during covid over zoom than than i would have otherwise because i've tried to you know reach out a little bit more and not isolate or allow her to be isolated so you got sometimes you got to work a little harder on isolation but just do you got to do what works
1: right and this also requires personal responsibility so earlier nick you had mm-hmm. talked about how you might be feeling there is this feeling of Oh, no, I'm not someone's one or two people. Um, I don't have these kinds of friendships, but don't be waiting right now for someone to reach out to you, reach out to someone else and and take the personal responsibility of needing, you know, you need someone in your life. And so reach out to someone and be a friend to them. Um, Because then they'll probably be a friend back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, their life might be too full, but keep trying and, and you're not going to make a friend by just waiting for someone else to reach out to you. So take that personal responsibility in terms of your own isolation as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I remember when this first started, my daughter, Abby watched, watched a movie while had, she had two friends like zoomed on her laptop Mm -hmm. and they were watching a movie at their house and it, i mean they're just watching the movie together and laughing and whatever and there was not much interaction between them. they were they're really watching the movie um, but they were just finding a way to get unisolated relative to what they could do does that right. make sense and so th- there's this there's this illustration i've used a couple of times about when things aren't right and you know it but you don't want to go through the discomfort of changing them so they'll be so i talk about like sometimes you'll be like be laying in bed in the winter and you're you're getting colder Like you're, you're, it's not enough blankets, right? And you know, it's not enough blankets and you know, you have to make yourself warmer, but you know that if you take off your blankets to go get another one, it's going to be really cold and you kind of want to just lay there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but you can't cause you're just, you're just getting colder. Right. And so at some point you have to just like get up and take the cold and go get the other blanket. And there's a lot of things in COVID in order for us to thrive. We're going to have to like make that jump, the cold Mm -hmm. blanket jump. You just got to throw the blankets off and go get the other blanket and make sure you're warm enough. And isolation is one of those things you really have to do that for. You got to do what it takes to get the contact that you need. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So I want to say one more thing about um, my interview with Father Jensen. So I talked about Mike, Mike um, Woodruff, that people are going to need an energetic, non-anxious presence and the power of God from you. So we've got to fight burnout so we can be that for people so we can love them. Talk about Adam saying that people seem unable to sustain themselves spiritually. We need to get better at that. So his fall series is all about sustaining your own spiritual life. His whole fall series. That's what he's doing. Right. And then, um, father Jensen said, he, he said, what I would do is I think people need to be more deeply connected to a kind of liturgy in their life. They need to structure their spirituality. In their life. And he said, for me, the biggest part of that is confession. He said, because confession gets a bad name in like Catholic circles, he said, but for, for me, he's like, it is the, a key moment of evaluating honestly before God, how you're doing. And so when you go to, to confession in the Orthodox church, they're like, you know, as you stand before God's icon, don't lie, um, knowing that he cares for you. Right. And then you're supposed to tell the priest how your life is really going including your sins and confess them. Right. And he said, the point of that isn't like emptying your sin bag so you can fill it back up again. It's to like, be honest before God about how you're really doing. And that that, like it, like the point of liturgy isn't supposed to be this unrealistic set of rituals that you do. The point of liturgy actually is to embody reality and to bring you back to reality. Because all week when you're out quote in the real world, you're actually becoming more Unreal right? because you're really a secular atheist like like you're you're an idolater and a pagan at heart and all week you're like falling out of it right and it's when you do these spiritual disciplines you do your liturgy your spiritual liturgy that you kind of get re reminded of reality right and so whether that's well that's a quiet time the liturgy of like reading your Bible and praying every day whether it's like singing worship songs to God like as you get ready for the day whether it's um going to church and going through the liturgy of the worship service, right? Greeting people, singing, praying, hearing God's word preached, hearing God's word read, right? Whatever those like practices of liturgy are, what they do is they like, they break things up and they reconnect you with reality. And, and because people, and people want to believe that like, look, I believe in Jesus. I did not And now I do. And that's it. Belief is belief. But one of the things David Wells showed in in his books that he wrote in the Late nineties, early two thousands, I think, um, was that sociologists have realized that structure beats belief every day of the week. Some people have heard people say, "Is it like culture eats policy for breakfast?" Strategy, yeah, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Yeah, that like there's there's something deeper in human beings than like your belief or your strategy. It's the structure you live in. So if you want to believe something. The only way you can believe something over the long term is if you structure your life around it. You actually create a liturgy in your life that supports it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And that's true for everybody. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an LGBT activist or a white supremacist or a Christian or a Muslim or an academic or a whatever. If there's a specific set of beliefs that you think are fundamental that you want to shape your life around, the only way you'll be sustained in them where they're deep and foundational for you is if you build a system or structure in your life that is a liturgy that supports them. And so in that sense, your belief can shape your life, but only if you then take your belief and make it into a liturgy. Does that make sense? A structure, a way of following it and, and pushing it deeper and deeper and sustaining it. Because all of your beliefs are more like a campfire than like a cornerstone. Right? It's not like, oh, I believe this, so I, I put in the cornerstone and mm-hmm. say so the rest of my life, I build everything on it. It's it's a rock. It'll stand for ages. It's more like a fire. You got to keep feeding it for it to keep burning because it's always getting kicked around and beat up. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I, sug- I have a book suggestion if you're wondering where to start with liturgies in your life. Um, there, There's a book called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose in an for an Age of Distraction by Justin Early. And it was really good. It was um, very practical and um, just easy things to remember. That's another thing. I've sometimes tried to put liturgies in my life, but I've had a hard time remembering them or being reminded of them. But the way that he he has very good suggestions for how to order your day that just really flows well and your week. So he has daily habits and then weekly habits. And there's not too many of them either. It's just good reminders of this is my purpose. This is my priority. This is who I am. Um, So that was really helpful for me. And I suggest that we'll Mm -hmm. put that in the show notes.
2: So here's the summarizing quote from father Jensen, Mm -hmm. only facing existential dread with the structured faith of asceticism and liturgy will give us the energetic structure to thrive in this instability. So it's our life's unstable, we're facing existential dread, we're reminded that we're going to die, and only what he said called the structured faith of asceticism and liturgy. So asceticism is like being uncomfortable and working really hard and fighting for, you know what I mean? Like subjecting yourself to real strong difficulty in order to achieve something, asceticism, and liturgy, structuring rituals that encapsulate and enhance the good, right? And who God is in and through you. Then, and those two things, asceticism, the working hard, the, the subjecting yourself to difficulty, and the liturgy, structuring yourself to move into the rituals of the good, are necessary to deal with existential dread and instability and insecurity. I think, that's, I think there's some real insight there. I don't think you have to buy into the Greek liturgy itself or become Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox to recognize that these sort of like life-giving repetitions done ascetically, that is, through difficulty, are integral To the pursuit of godliness and overcoming sin and living in the fullness of Christ and experiencing the strength and courage of walking in the strength of Christ and by the law of the Spirit. Does that make sense? So I I thought that was a great insight from him. So I I I really I really I want to thank those three guys: Mike Woodruff and Adam Avery and Craig Jensen and their insights. A lot of that stuff was stuff I was thinking about and writing about, and then I talked with each of them, and they all highlighted those things, and I thought. Yeah, this is, this is right. This is right. So uh, we're working on putting together a fall series for all this mm-hmm. and I think it'll be great. Um, but I, but I will connect it much more with passages of the Bible and how those passages are talking about these things rather than them being sociology talks and psychology talks. Um, but in, in a lot of it, I, um, Jill's encouraged me to do it out of the book of James and okay. I might, cause as I read through that, there was just so much very relevant stuff in there. Have about there James? Over and over yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there is a ton of good stuff in there so and, and not just like this but like the race ethnic et, like um right. racial justice stuff like the stuff where he's just like look if you show favoritism you're mm-hmm. overcome by evil so which right. which you would say they, the racial justice people would be like see and then they're like listen anger is not the way of god mm-hmm. and so the people who don't were like look at the riots like true anger is not the way of god Right? Like there's like it's a very it's very balanced and very truthful and it holds everybody responsible. And uh it just is so much insight and there's so much on delusion in there, how we just don't we just don't see the truth and overcoming delusion is our responsibility, which I think is a very interesting argument because like you'll be like, Well, if you're deluded, how can you possibly overcome that? But he's like, No, if you have the seed of Jesus, if you have the gospel, the gospel is a way, if you work that out in your worldview, it will decrease your delusion. You'll be able to see. And so you, it's your job in Christ with his power through his truth to overcome your deludedness. And wow, I was just like, whoa, gosh, this is, I I thought, I always think of James as like the guy who tells you to just get it done. And right. um, reading it was like, man, this guy's a real theologian. I mean, God really inspired him to be a theologian, not just a,
1: mm-hmm.
2: not just a yeah, preacher of right. righteousness. There's, it's, there's, it, there's really not a lot of moralism in it. I, thought I mean, Luther thought it was a very moralistic book, and I just don't agree. I think it's a very gospel-centered, gospel-saturated book. It's, it's a book of mm-hmm. grace, but it's very morally serious. It's a very morally serious book, which I, I love. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so,
1: yeah, we're going to be talking more about the fall series as it approaches. It starts September thirteenth. So please talk back to us in this episode. Email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. we want to hear what you're noticing what you've thought about what we've noticed that'd be really helpful Mm -hmm. to us as we prep so please let us know what you think and um, there's also a survey in the show notes that you can fill out about our podcast that would also really help us as we evaluate uh, what's helpful for you our listeners so do those two things and we'd really appreciate it thank you
2: yeah cool
1: all right
2: all right sweet thanks jill
1: yep thank you nick we'll see you guys next time
0: listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. You can find more episodes online at highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on most podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. If you are listening on a podcast app, hit subscribe to get notified of future episodes. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.